Hello. How are you? Good we times. are so excited. We are. We're excited. Oh, what are you excited about this week? I'm excited about everything. Wow. Everything in the world is awesome. Is it? It is, isn't it? Is it really? Well, I know one thing that's awesome. Programming is really awesome. <laughs> it hey, is. Yeah, and that's a good lead in for, I saw you had some programming stuff on your, I don't know if you want to start with that or not, but. Yeah, yeah, we can start with that. Yeah, so there, it's, it's the hour of code time again. There's a big push on that. So Benioff uh, put together a new commercial for them, and uh, I have a clip of that for you guys. Okay. Oh, here we go. And let me see. You have instructions. I still re- Hang on. Uh, no, that one, that one, you can just play the full video. It's not that okay. long. Here we go. I still remember the first day that I walked into that computer lab in Burlingame High School, and I saw that terminal connected to the mainframe, and I taught myself how to program in that math lab. Well, that was way back in 1978. Dance, of course, today, dance, every dance. kid has that computing power in their pocket. And knowing how to code and knowing how computers work is the most important thing in today's economy. The Coding most is the glue thing. that connects us all together. We've seen tens of millions of kids learn how to code. But you can be part of this incredible coding revolution. Yeah, I mean, obviously that most important, that's pretty ridiculous. And that's been debunked by plenty of smart people. So we don't. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, it's really geared towards kids and trying to get them to code and all that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> so, yeah, that was a, that was a thing this week. Now, so, John, how did you, I mean, how could, how did you manage to get into programming without having all of these marketing programs and millions of, you know, nonprofit dollars and, and, uh, celebrities, you know, trying to convince you that you should do, you know, coding an hour a day or whatever it is. How, how did you ever, how, I mean, how did you over, overcome all that, those odds, your complete lack of privilege to uh, become it, a programmer? It, it was a struggle, man. I, 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 we'll, we'll trade poverty stories. You know, I was just a little kid getting hand-me-down computers, no less, and um, keyboards, sticky keyboards, just, just a mess. And all I had was a black screen and green text. It was, it was horrible, but we, we struggled through it to what we have today. It is interesting though, you know, that the people that, that are our age, like in this generation uh, that are, and maybe even I would say between, if you're the, between the ages of, I don't know, maybe 30, 30 and up and you're, you know, and you've, you're someone who got into programming on your own, you know, there's a darn good chance that the reason you got into programming is because you had a genuine interest in it. Uh, you know, you, and you worked hard and you just, you know, spent a lot of your own time as a, as like a hobby, um, which I think tends to make the best programmers when you, when people come to it from that kind of background. I think that's most things though, not just programming, but anything where someone just has a genuine passion for something and it's something they just do all the time and they find a way to make money doing it. So, and my point is, I wonder, you know, now that we've got, uh, computers in every classroom and I, iPads everywhere. And, you know, most people have computers at home and there's, you know, internet, uh, and, and then of course all these, um, big marketing pushes to get people into programming. You're going to get a lot more people in, into the activity, uh, that, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten into it based on their, their own interest or whatever. And I wonder, I wonder what that will do to the you know, the typical developer. I mean, what the typical developer will look like in 20 years from now. I I don't know that that really matters, to be honest. I I think 
that stuff being out there and the accessibility and of course having access to more information, especially how to do something. Whereas before when we were younger, we'd have to find a book or buy a book or just tinker with something or, you know, even some of the, some of the programs in there had a little help file that you can go in and try to see what a command was and then just experiment with it. So I I think today you're better prepared at self-learning than any other time, but I don't necessarily think that that's any different. Yeah, there's more people being exposed to it, but it's not going to change who becomes a good programmer. I mean, it's got to come from within. It's got to come from the person. I mean, I was the type of person that liked to know how things work and take them apart. Even if I couldn't put them back together, I can't tell you how many tape decks or speakers I took apart when I was a kid, but that was just me. That was my nature. So I had that in me. Getting a, an entire classroom to code, you might expose it to a kid who who, the, who says, hey, you know, I really like this. I'm going to keep doing this. and and they'll find their own drive and passion for it. But as far as increasing the people that are doing it or even getting more people in general and saturating the market, I don't think that's going to happen. It kind of reminds me of the, have you seen the NFL's play 60 campaign? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's trying to get kids to just get off their butts for an hour a day right. and do something. It's kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. I think um, kids that are active and like to be active are active already. And those who are not are, are not for different reasons. It's, and, and I just wondered, like, do you think these kind of campaigns do anything to move the needle on, e- on, you know, on either of these topics? I don't know. It's hard to say. Cause even, even with the hour of code, I looked at a lot of the tutorials and a lot of different videos and some of them I found kind of funny and entertaining cause they're little quick snippets, about a minute to three minutes long. And what a lot of them are using this kind of higher level, visual programming where they have this block and they put on the screen and it says move left or move 10 paces forward. And then they'll stick that in a loop block to get it to move more. They'll get it to make a simple if statement and things like that. So it's at a very high level, very basic concept. So it's not going to do anything to show someone how to make a real program. It's going to show them how to kit together a bunch of different functions to do something. Basically kind of what you do with Salesforce and things like that. But either way, it's, it's not, teaching you everything you need to know to actually make a good program. No, it's, it's just exposure, right? Like, Hey, right. this thing exists. And I'm sure because a lot of the times in this, you know, this, this particular outreach uh, initiative, you know, you're going to have people with zero skills um, and also people of, at a, of a very young age. So it's going to have to be that the material itself or whatever you call it, the, um, curriculum or whatever it's got to be very simple i think i mean i think all of it's still good i mean it has its place and if it 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 does put put that language it does bring that stuff to kids and at least exposes it to them and maybe they wouldn't have been exposed to it until later like i wasn't really exposed to computers until much much later in my life when i realized i really liked them and maybe if i was younger and got exposed to them i might have found that passion earlier and been doing something a lot sooner but I think as with anything, it's, it's good to have it out there. I don't knock them for doing it. I don't knock the initiative. Um, as far as it being a game changer and changing the world, I don't see that or even changing the market. So what, uh, what was the first computer that you, you know, got exposure to and were, you know, got interested in? Did you guys have a, did you get a home computer or what happened? We never had a home computer. Um, I knew people who had actually, no, that's wrong. My dad had inherited or someone gave him a Tandy and um, it was like it had these cartridges, but more it, the cartridges were a luxury. What it had was a book and you had like a book for a program and you had to program the book to play it. And so there's like this game 
and I never finished it because <clears throat> I had some bug or something somewhere that I mistyped and I could never finish it. But I basically got this book and I had to basically copy the program. You're basically, you had a page and it had all the code you had to write and you'd write the code and then you'd go to the next page and keep writing. You're basically, uh, what do they call that? Where you, it, the book is dictating and you're typing. I don't know whatever you call that transcription or something. I don't yeah, know what you're, yeah, basically. Yeah. You're just so, so I'm transcribing the, the code in the book over to the computer and then, you know, just trying to see what would work. But at least I learned from that. I learned, you know, how to make it make a sound or I learned how to get it to do this. And then I just said, screw it with the book. And I just started poking away at it. What was the language? I don't remember. I really had don't. Be, had to be basic, right? It was probably some form of basic. Yeah. I mean, this was Radio Shack Tandy stuff. So yeah. Was that a, a an Intel based machine? Like, did it run DOS or was it like, uh, what was the, what was some of the earlier ones? PDP or do you At remember? At that point, I wasn't that much of a nerd back then. I was, I, I just knew it had a keyboard and I could type stuff into it and it would do something. And that is what made me excited was the fact that I could type something, hit run, and it was doing something. And that, that's where my excitement started. So my, uh, I remember my mom, I, when I'd go visit her every, every two weeks, I guess, um, this was, uh, I was thinking I was 12. Um, but she had, she got a PC. I think it was a PC. It had to be. I think it ran DOS because that's when I started. That's what was my first exposure to DOS. But it just had two two you know five and a quarter inch floppy drives. And there was no hard drive. And I wanted to do something because I was learning. I learned the basic DOS commands and how to run basic and you know run you know execute things and whatever. And one problem I was having was that the floppy disk I was using you know there I needed more space on it. And so I was like, what are all these like, you know, dot bat and CMD and dot BIN files? You know, those aren't, those don't seem to be useful to me. So I'm just going to delete those. And this course this is on the, this is on the DOS disk. <laughs> uh, so I deleted those files. And then of course the next time my mom tries to boot the computer, she sticks the disk in and it can't boot. So I got in trouble for that. But I also had a, um, a little game, a little game console. It was, it was an Atari. It was called, I think it was the Atari XE. And it was a cart, you know, had cartridges and it had, um, a gun, it came with a gun, like the duck hunt gun, but this is not Nintendo. And it came with, um, some kind of, some kind of handheld controller, but it also came with a keyboard, which was kind of weird. And if you didn't, if, when the machine was off, if you didn't put a cartridge in and turned it on, it booted right into basic. Like you had a basic prompt and you could just start entering in a basic program. And that's when I, that was my first, pro, you know, programming. That's when I learned how to program. Yeah. I, I really didn't pick up actual program. I mean, that was something that I had, I think for a year or maybe a few months where I was just tinkering with it. And then later in life is when I got my first computer, I bought one of those computers they were selling at work that, you know, used to be a workstation, but they were getting rid of it. And so they just sold it to the employees. And that's what I ended up with. And that's when I started really kind of getting into it and getting, figuring out how to actually get it to do something useful for work. Yeah, I think I think within a couple of years, I I got my own computer. I, I think we were able to buy one from my mom's work or something. Or yeah, and it was a two eighty six, um, kind of crummy. But I was uh, I was able to. That's when I started doing music on a computer. That was kind of cool. And then um, and then I started running a BBS, which was hilarious. But it was yeah, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I actually bought got an additional phone line for it. And I'm like 14 years old and we have three phone lines in our house. <laughs> <laughs> you remember those days? I, I tried to explain oh, that yeah. to my daughter at some point that when, when you used to get online, it used to make this noise and it would be like, <laughs> and 
And she was like, huh? That's weird. And then I yeah. said, and then no one could call you because it was, it was using the phone line. What? And I was like, yeah. And then we had to get a second line so that we could be on the computer and talk on the phone at the same time. Or if you forget to cancel a call waiting and someone calls you and it beeps and just, oh, yeah. just trashes your connection. <laughs> and she's just <laughs> looking at me like, that's crazy. That's, she doesn't understand because she has, no. and not only does she have internet, but she has, and broadband internet, she has always on instant access to a fiber line because we have Fios. So she's got as much bandwidth as she wants. She never has to wait for anything. She'll, she'll never understand what rendering a page on a 300 no, baud no. modem looks like. No. Yeah. Those are the good old days. Um, but yeah, I mean, I spent, oh my gosh, when I was in high school, I, th- I would, I think there were days that I spent probably 18 hours in a day on BBSs. Just ridiculous. I got totally addicted. And like I said, I was, I was running my own and it was mainly people I knew that would, that were members of it, but it was, it was, it was, um, it was fun. And then uh, of course the internet, I got a slip account. Um, but didn't know what really what I was doing very much because it was, you know, you dial up into the slip account and I would, you'd get a, basically like a Linux prompt. I think it was a shell account. So I would, you know, it just drops you into the shell on some system into like a bash shell. And of course that's when I, you know, started teaching myself, um, more Unix, Unixy stuff. I, did I say Linux? I'm sure it was not Linux. I'm sure it was probably some kind of BSD, but, um, and that was before the web, I think. This was, um, had to be 92, 93. When was, when was the, maybe that was when the web kind of was born. But there were, Netscape didn't exist yet. So I think I, I think the browser I used was, was Mosaic, the first one, I guess. I can't remember. But. You're dating you know. yourself, man. You're, you're, know. you're oh, an old school yeah. nerd. I know. <laughs> well. It used to be when you told these kind of stories, you know, it was punch cards and time sharing and all that kind of stuff. And, but we're not going to have those stories cause <laughs> too young for that. But, uh, it's always fun to, to try and tell the kids what life was like back then. There was no, there was no cartoons on all the time. There was no internet. There was no Netflix. Uh, we actually had to get outside and do stuff and play with each other and stuff. No, uh, what's the, um, What's the little photo sharing app that everyone uses now? Instagram. No, oh, no, no, no Snapchat. There was no Snapchat. <laughs> uh, I saw Snapchat the other day for the first time. I saw someone use it. And I was like, oh, what's that? And they're like, Snapchat. I was like, oh, okay. Never seen that. They could hardly believe that I'd never seen Snapchat. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't have time for that. You're an old fogey. Oh. Um, yeah. So, 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 so hour of code. Huh? Hour of code. Yep. But moving on, we had yeah, a pretty okay. big weekend. It was Super Bowl, right? I think someone told me there was some big game and they called it a Super Bowl. I don't know. It was a big bowl game. I don't know. You, you that's can, when they, that's uh, when they play sports in a giant bowl. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. they use some kind of pig or something, pig skin. I don't know. Some, it's some crazy thing. And then they lie. They don't play with they, their feet. They, they play it with their hands. I don't even get that part. I just... Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really into football. Hmm. So I didn't watch it. <laughs> I had plenty of people call me and ask me if I was watching it, but no. And people were shocked that I wasn't watching it. I was like, there's no reason to. The game is usually boring. And apparently it was until the last 10 minutes from what I understand. No, that was pretty and the good. Commercials, the commercials were all out on YouTube a week before. Plus they just weren't great. That They weren't very, there were a couple that were okay, but um, I don't know. They were pretty boring overall. And then the halftime shows. I never care about the halftime shows. Well, I do sometimes, but this time it's Katy Perry. And I know she's, you know, she's a good pop star or whatever, but I'm just, I'm not into that, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, and 
she had Lenny Kravitz on, but didn't do much with him. He didn't get to do much at all. Um, and they had some other hip hoppy type group or person. Um, again, hip hoppy. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, uh, I, just, I heard is that, is that heard, a technical term. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Hip hoppy. It's, it's the adjective form of hip hop. Oh, okay. But, uh, some people said it was great. And some people said they, you know, that person stole the show. So I don't know, but there were well, no, uh, no, no major wardrobe malfunctions. No, which is good or bad, depending on your perspective. Yeah. It depends on who's, who's having the malfunction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need a, we need a, a rim shot sound effect. Yeah, we do. Mm. So anyways, the, the actual big news this weekend is that they moved into the new children's hospital. Actually, they moved into the whole new hospital, but the children's hospital in, in particular and, uh, the UCSF, uh, children's hospital and, uh, who, who someone lives there. So they moved into it. Who moved into it? The hospital, the employees, the doctors, oh. the patients it is, is a, a huge spectacle. Apparently I wish I had seen video, but I just see pictures of it. And there's just like a line of ambulances where they were transporting people into the hospital to move them in. So, yeah. So Benioff made a tweet that day. says, great news. All the kids made it safely today to the UCSF children's hospital. So that was, that was so there cool. are, um, yeah, I was going to say there, there are actually two Benioff children's hospitals now there's ucsf and then there's one on the other side of the bay i guess i think so um yeah there's i think i know i think there's two of them yeah but this this, so this prompted me to kind of go in and take a look at the new digs and everything and it's it's a prime example of what 250 million dollars buys you i mean this place looks incredible all the equipment is state-of-the-art futuristic really cool looking but in particular for the children's hospital it's decorated and it's decorated really well, meaning MRI machines are decorated like boats and ships and trains. So when the kids get on them, they're not all that intimidated by this big machine. They see it as this big playground that they get to lay down in. There's TV screens on the ceilings and on the walls. And even the the waiting rooms or hospital rooms and things have these huge screens that let you, it's almost like a really fancy luxury hotel where you can order stuff and browse online and do all that. They're all kind of smart devices. So it's really cool. Hmm. Yeah. And, and as far as like, you know, the price tag for this thing, I mean, I, I don't know if they announced it or whatever, but I'm sure there's a lot more money that went into it, you know, besides Benioff's, Benioff's you know, contribution. Million. So, yeah. I mean, that, that could be a, a billion dollar thing. Yeah. Um, well, I'm it, sure it is, but I mean, I'd imagine that his was the brunt of it considering his name's on it. Yeah. Or the brunt of the most single donation, I guess. Right. But, single biggest probably. But yeah, I invite anyone to go to the site and look at the pictures of the place. Cause it's really incredible. Like if my kid was sick, I'd want to fly and take them here because it's the most, it's beautiful. I'm in on it. I want to hang out in there. But they'd probably call security on you. There's a <laughs> cre- creepy old man hanging out in the children's hospital. I, know. I mean, it almost looks like a, one of those kids interactive museums. Cause they've got all these cool activities on the walls and, and just colors and murals and art. And it's just, it's just got a lot going for it. So I'd like to visit it in person one day, as long as no one kicks me out. Oh, and it also comes with a shiny new helicopter. Would you like to know what the name of the helicopter is? Um, Benioff one. Oh, so close. <laughs> so close. Especially, especially if you find Benioff to be a very charming and endearing cuddle, cuddle bear, teddy bear type person. He's a big teddy bear. Well, the, the, the helicopter is called bear force one. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh. oh man. That's, that deserves a. <laughs> Speaking of jokes, 
Um, I was talking to my brother. He's, he's, uh, he started listening to the podcast just to find something to make fun of me about. Cause he likes he must, to make, he must be really bored. He, he likes to get into things I'm into and then make fun of me for it. So his running mm-hmm. joke right now is, is putting on his best nerd face and holding his hands really close to his face and acting like he's typing. <laughs> it's, it's harder to describe than it is to see, but to see this big about, yeah. hulking yeah. army guy crunk, crinkling up and trying to try to make fun of me being a nerd. So anyways, his suggestion was that I, that I be more funny and come up with more jokes. Um, and so I thought I'd try a few jokes out. Oh dear. Brace yourselves, listeners. All right. This, this, is, this, bad. Re- this requires participation. <laughs> okay. Knock knock. That's oh, a knock. I was gonna say it's a knock knock joke. <laughs> knock. <laughs> knock knock. Who's there? No bell. No bell who? No bell. That's why I knocked. <laughs> like, uh, okay, I've I've got another one. I'm sure your kids would like that one. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm, I'm hoping that this, this wins big with him. He seems to find these funny. So. Okay. Knock, knock. Who's there? Leaf. Leaf who? Leave me alone, man. <laughs> you the one of- who knocked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My last one. My, my very last punch one. You. Knock, knock. Kienis. Tank. Tank who? You're welcome. You know what's All really right. bad about what you did there? <laughs> what's really bad is is you you said who's there in Spanish, right? Yeah. And the joke is is misinterpreting tank who as someone saying thank you uh, yeah, with so, an accent. With well, more of the that's <laughs> so that, more of the probably a more um So that was that was very uh, uh, Asian accent, Asian, you yeah. know, like a someone who has a strong Asian accent of some sort. It's hard for them to pronounce the th sound. <laughs> All right, so I did my due that diligence. That was a racist joke, John. That, that, no, you made it racist. No, you, the, race, the joke is fundamentally racist. It's intrinsically <laughs> racist. There was nothing I could do. Oh, leave Don't it to drag me. me into your I, racism. L- leave it to me to find it. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. So this, this is uh, new. I hope your brother's happy. I, ho- I hope he is too. Because <laughs> we just lost. He better be rolling uh, on the floor laughing. We just lost both of our listeners. <laughs> he better be rolling on the floor laughing for those. Uh, Man, I hear that Microsoft bought a calendar app. I, I did see that for a hundred million bucks. I didn't know calendar apps were worth a hundred million dollars, man. It's funny because how long has Microsoft been trying to make a decent calendar app? 20 uh, years? It's since forever. And they've never succeeded. And for some reason, and I don't understand this, but apparently, and it's just like email apps. It's... It's like a, it's like a white unicorn or whatever, you know, it's something, it's unachievable, inachievable, unachievable. Well, it's, it's productivity and it's, it's a matter of whatever is productive to you is not productive to someone else. It just, it seems like it'd be a relatively simple problem and it turns out it's incredibly complex and it's a, it's a moving target because the technology behind how people want to, you know, do things like schedule meetings and collaborate and, you know, calendar formats and all this kind of crap. I mean, it's. It's just very difficult. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, this entrenched behemoth Microsoft, who's been trying to make a calendar app for 20 years, uh, you know, decided to buy something from an, a small, you know, nimble startup. Well, maybe, maybe we should, with, with that thought, maybe we should come up with our own calendar and sell it for a hundred million dollars. I was thinking the same thing. I've got to get in on this scam. 
What else can we do that, that might be worth a hundred or two hundred million dollars? Maybe a, how about a CRM system? <laughs> uh, it would be the best one in the world, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. You know it would. Um, Wait, yeah. Where's my Benioff? Um, yeah. I don't have an um yeah. I have a. I don't know. I don't have an um yeah. Oh, I thought you had one. Uh, I have a. Oh, here's one. And I'm like. Why? Oh, yeah. That's, Why? that's the one I thought yeah. it was. For some reason, I thought he was saying, yeah, that's what was in my brain. Hey, Mark, what, what would you think of us uh, creating a new CRM system? And I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fitting. <laughs> so do you know anything about this? The, the, the calendar system they bought? It's just Is it like super slick and, you know, responsive and multi-platform, multi, you know, device and all that stuff. It's, it's a mobile, it's, it's on your mobile devices. That's where it gained its popularity. I think they came out with a, a desktop plugin or version of the software. I remember downloading it and using it for a bit, but then I gave up on it. Not, not because it wasn't good, but just because I had other things that I was using. I was basically just using Google. So what's it called? Microsoft is acquiring apps. Is it app sunrise? Is that it? Uh, I think it's sunrise app, but. Okay. Um, I'll counter app sunrise for yeah. north of a hundred million. Yeah. Um, Sunrise has a suite of calendar products for mobile and desktop users that connects with and consolidates calendars from different providers. It's available on iPhone, iPad, and yeah, see, that's the thing. It's, it's just such a complex ecosystem nowadays. You know, it's yeah. consolidating all kinds of different data, probably from different sources and, and giving you, giving the user like a, probably like a nice um, view into all those or bringing it together and making it easier to consume. Yeah. But I mean, I mostly use it for Google cal calendar. So I ended up just using Google calendar and my iCal. So, or my calendar app on Mac, Apple calendar, whatever they call that thing. Yeah. I Mainly use... because I liked the new map feature they added to it, where I can enter in the map and it'll kind of gauge my alert time based on how much time it takes to get there. I really like that feature. Is that an, that's an iCal? Yeah. Okay. Or calendar. calendar. It's just called calendar. Now, it's just right? called calendar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's always been sufficient for me. Calendaring is one of it's, I put it in the same category as email. It's as long as it works pretty well, I'm fine with it. I'm not looking to, you know, life hack the hell out of, out of those things because I want to spend as little time as possible doing them. Like I don't, I right. don't, I mean, I've never been one of these to install like a third party email client for me, for whatever reason, even, and I have several email accounts, mail.app or whatever it's called works just fine. Yeah. I'm sure there's, you know, and you know, Gmail has got some really cool stuff, especially with um, like the labs features you can add and smart inbox and all that stuff. And that's great. But I think that's for people who like, who want to spend more time in their inbox than I do. I, I do as little time in email as possible. And as far as I can tell, mail.app is fine for that for me. Yeah. I've adopted it doesn't, the... it doesn't lose email. I can still search through every email I've ever received. You know, I've never had a problem with it. You know, my inbox or my mail getting too big. And I'm sure I've got, I'm sure my, the size of my, all my mail is getting multiple, lots of gigs. So it's just, it seems fine. Oh, see, I don't even do that. I, I take a much more extreme approach to that. I, I kind of follow, I don't know if I follow it, but I basically clean out my inbox as, as soon as stuff comes in. So it's, I guess you can call it inbox zero, but essentially what I do is I go through and if it's something I need to work on, I'll drag the email out of my program onto my desktop. So I have a file of it put that into my task list as something to do. Yeah. And then everything else, if I need to, I don't even keep it. I just hit the delete. 
and that puts it in my delete folder and it'll automatically delete in, after 30 days because that's the way Google's set up. Um, and that way it doesn't get too big. And I don't, I don't have to, I, mean, I used to manage different folders. Like this is my to-do folder. This is my maybe folder. This is my, you know, someday folder. This is my, I might need to keep this for some future lawsuit reason type yep. deal. Right. I, th- I got to the point where I was like, screw it. I'm, I'm not, I'm done stressing over my email. I just want to focus on the things that come in that I need to worry about and get rid of the rest. And then I also try, well, I used to try to only check it once an hour, but that just got I just was forgetting to check it all day. So I, I keep it up and I, I let the notification show up and I let it distract me. But since I don't really have anything in it, I can quickly delete it. So I find it to be a better pattern for myself, at least a better way of working with it than trying to manage folders and all that kind of stuff. Um, is there any Salesforce stuff going on? It's been quiet. It's been a quiet week for Salesforce. I saw, of course, I don't have it. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. I saw an article about uh, it was about Salesforce and Wave. So you can find it. Oh, I know that. Uh, I think the MVPs are starting to get uh, access to Wave. I've heard of a few mentioning that that they're going to get access to it. You know, so that's and that brings up an interesting point, which is Wave is apparently just going to be one of these features that it, because one thing the Salesforce has been really good about is from the beginning is that it's it's very transparent, it's very accessible. You know, they make everything accessible to you through a, you know, anyone can go create a developer account. Um, you know, really no barriers. And I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons for their success. And, and not to take away from the, not to take away from the fact that they, they built a good product and everything, but that, I think that was a key factor. And wave is just one of these things that I still don't know much about it. I don't know. I, I still don't seem to be able to get it. I don't think you can get it unless you're, you know, a $80 billion company. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I don't feel like there's much transparency there when I, you know, if you go to Salesforce's analytics page and, you know, say you're interested or you're like, you want to get it or something, it takes you to a, a form to fill out to have, you know, a salesperson contact or you, or you can call their 800 number. And that's, that's really so anti Salesforce. I think there's some reason behind that though. <clears throat> Sorry. Is that. I, I wish I remembered where I read this. I think it was on a, a fortune article or something where they were interviewing Mark. And um, one of the things he was talking about was data scientists and analytics and all those kind of things. And he wasn't really talking in particular about wave, but he was talking about where the industry is going in terms of data intelligence. And a lot of it that he spoke to, and I think will be reflected in what wave ultimately becomes is that people aren't going to be the ones trying to figure out or make sense of the data, the system will, that the system will be in charge of the analyzing the data and making it sense of it and putting it into some kind of format that can then be understood by people. And that means there are going to have to be some people in the back end who are kind of curating that information and, and somewhat making that stuff available in the system. But you know, the CEOs of the world are, are not going to become data scientists overnight. They're just going to be consuming this information. Sure, And so that, that's where I think maybe there's some caution in releasing wave out because it might get misunderstood. I think, I, I think you're being, I think you're being a little generous though. I mean, I think the reason that wave is not accessible is because it's not ready. To, it's still not ready to be accessible. And, and it, it may be just that the essence of something like wave, you know, you've got data coming from different places and it's not, it's not an easy setup feature. It's not right. like, you know, I'm going to flip on contracts. Or, and I think you know, that's what I mean by misunderstanding it, that, that you're just going to all of a sudden flip it on. You're going to have all these cool dashboards and it's going to be this 
it's just going to change your world. And I don't think it's going to be that. I think it's going to be a tool and you're going to need to, you're going to need to have the right kind of people to help configure and set that tool up before you'll get any kind of real value out of it. Yeah. I, I, I still think it'll, it would mean, obviously it's, you know, it's analytics, it's, it's business intelligence and that's, um, continues to be a, a key thing. Um, and there's of course the, just the space is growing. So I, I'm sure Salesforce, Salesforce will figure it out and they'll, they'll land at some place that is a balance between, you know, this is a complex product and it's a complex setup and we just don't want to give it to you and have you just fall on your face, you know, balance between that and, you know, accessibility and transparency, you know, right. Um, but it's just going to take time and, you know, they really announced it. I, and I have no doubt still that they announced it too soon. I mean, it was just, is what it is. But yeah, so this article, this is from, I don't know what this is, CMS Wire. What the hell is that? Um, uh, it said, uh, you know, okay, so when they announced that it wasn't available, critics said it cost too much. And after two years of, de- two years of development, it's too little, too late. That's what people were saying then. Um, a quieter formal launch came about two weeks after, I guess that was after Dreamforce. Um, big pilot clients like G Capital and EMC signed up. Uh, and so now we're at the hundred day mark and Salesforce officials claim wave is generating strong interest among its customers. That's, <laughs> just, that's what you say when you, that's what you, know, you say when, when you, you're a publicly traded company. Yeah. You, you know, and you actually don't have, you know, it's generating interest. Um, so, so they had, they're planning an update to it in mid February. Well, that's interesting. Um, we're on target. Our first hundred days have seen, have seen it. Amazing customer success stories said Anna Roseman. She's mm. Rusheka. She runs analytics. Um, we've had tremendous momentum. Uh, blah, blah, blah. That's just a bunch of crap. Um, okay. This is interesting. Obviously we've had a lot of pilot customer customers close. So I think, and they don't say what that means, but I'm pretty sure what that means is, um, you know, this, let's say they had, I mean, you know, a hundred pilot customers. Um, a lot of them just, you know, once the pilot's done, they just leave and like that, mm. ah, not interested. Um, but she said they have had some customers like, uh, Houghton Mifflin, uh, the publisher of Curious George sign up. Well, I think I think some of the interest, if anything, is that the native dashboard charts that you get in Salesforce are extremely dated and they're crappy and no one likes them. That's a little harsh. <laughs> and it, it leads into kind of an update that I wanted to make, and that was, but I'll let you finish your point first. But just know that I have an update to make about that because I I think this stems from just people wanting better access or better dashboards from, from Salesforce that they're not getting. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, so Anna Rose, when she's saying here that, you know, at, um, the you know, customers were confused about wave, whether wave was a discovery tool or something you could just, you know, according to this plop on top, that's a technical term of a BI platform. And they're acknowledging that they have to do more education about the, the capabilities and how it's supposed to be used and stuff. Um, and, then, and then there's the question here, does it cost too much? The administrative tools of wave called Builder costs two fifty a month per seat. Mm. Um, even the version for business users calls Explorer is one hundred twenty five. And add to that the basic license of forty thousand dollars, which is in addition to any other site license paid by existing Salesforce customers. And I think when I heard that number, when you know, three months ago, that was it's supposedly forty thousand a month. Seems crazy, but maybe if it, I don't know, I guess I mean if if Wave is super valuable, then maybe that makes sense for some customers. Yeah. Obviously, just the biggest customers. But anyway, it says, you know, you know, all in all, Wave costs more than Salesforce charges for its sales and service products put together. Um, the other saying that there's probably a lot of discounting going on at this point. Uh, yeah, that's definitely true, especially from these pilots that are 
I guess, signing up to, to actually start subscribing to it. But on, I, I and, think, here, and, and then she presents, sorry, I got to interrupt you, this, uh, this false dilemma. It's far cheaper for customers to use Wave than for companies to build their own data centers. What? Those aren't the two options. It's not like build Wave or, or, or you know, wave use Wave or build your own data itself. center. Yeah, it's, I know. Well, it doesn't replace that, the, the need for that. I know. It's just, like I said, it's a false. Uh, again, uh, it, that's, that's confusion. If that's someone who, was she in the pilot? Is, she, is that what she's saying? Or? No, she's, she runs, she's like the product manager for oh, Wave. Yeah, she's adding to the confusion because that's, that's not right. <laughs> I, I don't, it's not that. It can't be that. I, it, it, if I get access to it and I can play around with it and I can see exactly how you connect all these different systems, then we'll know if whether or not it's, it's a data center or not. But I'm pretty sure it's not. It's no, not, she, you're not saying, moving your she, data. She's from, saying that she's saying that if you wanted to build something like wave, you'd have to build your own data center, which is absurd. I mean, but, maybe, but maybe she's never is, had a, maybe she's never front, heard of EC two wave is the front. I mean, I guess part of it. Yes. The front end part of it of hosting or not hosting, but the tools to configure and display and distribute the information. But the, the sources where things come from and being able to aggregate that and all that kind of stuff on the back end is still, I think on the company to do. Right, because it's coming from the company's, you know, enterprise systems. Right. Yeah. So, I don't mind. And that's know. where I think the confusion is. I mean, I think everyone, everyone wants better dashboards. Yeah. And again, it's about, it's about learning new things from your data that you didn't know. I, I mean, I guess, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that even, even if it didn't do any kind of true analysis or data discovery within your, your, your mass of data, your universe of data, I'll say, even if it just provided a better representation of the data, even if it provided a better distribution model for, for that information, it would be a win. But the way they're pricing it and the way they're positioning it, I think they want it to be more. They want it to be that data analytics tool. They want it to be run by data scientists, people who are actually in there configuring some, you know, massive cubes of information that can then be presented. Um, I think that's what they want it to be. And I think that's reflected in the pricing. I guess. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. When I, when I watched that wave keynote by the French guy, I didn't, I didn't hear much about having to be a data scientist. I, I saw really fancy, easy to use, you know, mobile apps and stuff. So, well, I hope they cleared that up. Cause I think that's called selling the sizzle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we're on the subject of dashboards, I have an update to make. Cause I had said it, I had said a few things about uh, my favorite subject squid uh, about the charting. And, um, I actually recently for about a week or two now have gotten a chance to actually, it's only been about a week actually imp- start implementing and play around with them and do some real world stuff beyond just kind of tossing them on a screen and configuring a model and displaying some charts. <clears throat> and I found some interesting things out. One is that I actually can create my own data set and present that to the chart. However, it's, not the way I thought I would have to do it. I essentially still put the chart on the screen. I still attach a data model to it so that it can get refreshed at the right point in time. But they did provide a hook at the at the end of it. So right when the chart is about to be rendered, it'll send me the chart itself, the JavaScript data model that represents that chart, and I can start manipulating stuff, which means I can add to the data series. I can add a new series and I can inject a new data set which allowed me to do some of the things that I was doing today with Google, um, but instead use uh, using the squid charts. So I thought that was a 
nice surprise that I was able to do that. I didn't have to rely on making sure that I could create a single query or a single model that had all the information I needed. I could just, you know, create it using JavaScript. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, there was a few quirks with the layout, but those are reported and getting corrected, hopefully. But I mean, I, w- I had a chance to present the results of those charts um, to some business users, and they absolutely loved them. They loved the look of them. They loved the way they refreshed and animated. They loved um, being able to click on a legend and remove a data set item and put it back in. It just it just was nice. And everyone, basically, their response was, I wish Salesforce dashboards looked and worked like this. Well, I mean, that's just a good... Sign, I guess, that Squid is providing really good incremental value over Salesforce. And they're actually using a charting component. Um, high charts is what they're using. I've used high charts before. So, which was uh, great it's because pretty nice, actually. I was able to get into their documentation and look at all the stuff that's in the back end. And so that just provided a world of documentation for me to be able to manipulate the data and the model itself a bit more. So that was my yeah. really quick update on that. Cool. We need to come up with a, uh, like a, a jingle when we start our squid segment <laughs> yeah well they're they're I, i've been doing a lot of work with it it's it's been fun work because it's i get to do a lot more javascript i get to do a lot more html and css type stuff i'm not having to deal with visual force as much um, although there are some cases where i was like man i wish i could just use this visual force or or there are things that salesforce provides a visual force tag for that generates something that that they do internally like chatter or some kind of the social feed bar that they have now those type of things are what i miss because i can't really inject those i have to basically recreate that from scratch yeah i really wish um that the chatter i guess visual force components i've noticed this in the past they're they're very coarse grained right um and they're not really that flexible um that's a really common request i get is people want to customize chatter and uh it's just it's kind of you get this you know, this whole big blob of functionality as it is. If you want it, you know, sliced up more or to work a little bit differently or for the prompts to say something different, you know, you're out of luck. Yeah. Unless you want to hack it with crazy JavaScript stuff, which I've done. Yeah, which we do. Which we do. Yep. Well, as I told you, I have nothing this week, so. Oh. That's good, though. Well, we I, have my final, I have my final topic. I think it's pretty good. However... Okay. How did your office shopping go? You never told me that story. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot. It. Okay. So some background. So, you know, I have a really awesome home office setup. I love it. Um, but I realized just for various reasons that it would be really nice to have, you know, an office somewhere outside of the house. And so I've you know, I started uh, searching Craigslist for really what I want is just like some simple like sublease, like someone that has, you know, an office, you know, they've got offices and they just... They want to, they, you know, they have an extra office they want to rent out to someone for, you know, a few hundred bucks a month or something. All I need is internet and a desk and a chair, not even a phone really. Um, turns out that's kind of hard to find. So I did, I've, I looked at the Regis thing and we talked about that. It's hard uh, to find I, here in Dallas, not in San Francisco where you have co-working spaces. Oh, exactly. Up the right. Yeah. So that's the first thing I did was I'm, 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 you know, Googling for co-working in Frisco, you know, here in Frisco, Texas, which is a, for people who don't know, it's just a suburb just north of Dallas. Uh, and you know, there's just no co-working space around here. There's, you know, if you go down into Dallas, there, there's some, but you know, with traffic, I mean, that's just a horrendous commute. So there's no way I'm doing that. There's nothing up here in Frisco, nothing in Plano, which is kind of disappointing. Um, so that's when I looked into the, into Regis because so Regis is this company that has, uh, offices, you know, for 
all kinds of different renting and kind of temporary use. And they, and they have centers, these, what they call them like, you know, business centers all over the world, really. But I mean, there's one here in Frisco, there's multiple in Plano. Um, there's, you know, Allen, McKinney, Louisville. So these are all the cities just right around me here. So there's plenty of centers. Um, and I, you know, as of yesterday, I thought, well, this will be awesome. I'll, I'll, um, sign up for this program. It's like 250 bucks a month. And, you know, you can up to like 10 times a month, you can go in and just, you know, like sit in their co-working area. Um, and you can also, they have like a, just a lounge you can, um, you can use as well, which is, you know, it all has internet and, you know, chairs and power plugs and all the stuff you need just to go somewhere and work. And well, so it turns out that the centers around me, both Frisco and and the two Plano ones, don't have a co-working space. So that two hundred fifty dollar a month plan, which gets you, it's either ten or unlimited use of the co-working um, spaces. I wouldn't even be able to use that. It would just be a complete waste because they don't have co-working spaces. I have to drive further away to some center that does. And I think I think they were telling me that the only ones that do around here are the ones in Dallas. But the, the thing that really irritated me was that they didn't, they didn't really tell me that I had to pro, you know, probe and, and do all this research on my own. I mean, they were very willing like these local people to sell me something that I was not going to be able to use. And so then I thought, well, fine, I'll, I'll do the one where you, you're basically getting an office, right? So it's right. a similar type of thing. You can just, you know, pop in and, and, you know, grab an open office. Um, you know, whenever you want, um, you do have to, if, you know, it's probably smart to reserve them. You can do that on their website ahead of time and thought, well, okay, this is going to be more expensive, like four fifty a month, something like that, but I'll, but I'll just do that. And then I looked and the centers near me are completely booked up. They don't have offices available. So I wouldn't be able to use that either. So I'm basically just completely writing off Regis and going back to, you know, searching for a company or a bank. I mean, in, in this, you know, there's a couple of banks that I, I need to follow up with that, you know, have just an extra office they want to, they want to rent out for like a six month term or so, and some of them are even month to month. So yeah, I don't know. Wouldn't you, would you get to use their internet or anything like that? Or you'd have yeah, to yeah, they, yeah, they let you, mm-hmm, they let you use their internet. And you know, the ones I've read said that they have, you know, high quality, high speed internet, which is, mm-hmm. you know, everyone says that it's a, uh, the question is, is when you do a ping test, do you have reasonable right. latency and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's hard. It's hard around here to find somewhere to work. I know. Um, you know, I don't want to sign, you know, a three-year lease on, you know, 3,000 square feet of office space. So it seems like uh, there'd be a market for that. As many times as I go into Starbucks and it's filled with people in their damn notebooks, I can't, I know. <laughs> I just can't well, go, I can't find a place to sit down and work. And it does seem like there's a market for that, which, which makes, which is why it's, you know, so, uh, dumbfounding that it's, that it doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, not, and again, I mean, obviously co-working spaces exist and they usually, I mean, like I've seen some that, you know, it's like, you know, you pay like a membership fee, like a hundred or 200 a month and you can just pop in whenever, you know, and sit at, you know, just grab a chair to, at a table or something and, right. And start working or whatever. Um, they just don't have them around here, which is weird because Frisco is like this hot growing city with, you know, we've got the $5 billion mile and cowboys are moving here and all these companies are relocating here. Um, tons of class A office space here already and tons more that's being built just nothing so there's a new business venture for us jeremy we'll call it the good day sir uh workplace <laughs> co co-working place yeah yeah and then you could you could you could the uh, the bonus will be you could live you could watch us record live how's that yeah i'm i'm <laughs> 
<laughs> was that kind of creepy the way I said that? It sounded that was, creepy when yeah. it came out. <laughs> that was creepy. We're all heading to creepy. We all know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, you get it. You know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah. So I'll, uh, this will be an ongoing saga, I'm sure, because there's, this is just not going to be easy, but I hope to find something. Yeah. Anyway. <sighs> you like music. Yeah. I know you're big on the audio. You're, you do all of our audio for the podcast. You're, you make sure everything's all right and nice and sounds good, even though I have horrible setup. Have you heard about Pono? We've talked about Pono. Yeah. yeah. Have we talked about it? Yes. Oh. At Dreamforce. Cause, oh, that's uh, right. Cause yeah. yeah. So there was an interview recently with Neil Young and I thought it was, uh, I, I thought it'd be nice to, to bring that up a bit since you're such an audiophile. Okay. But you can play the first clip because it's Neil Young saying what Pono is, which it's yeah. a word. Okay. Hang on. Um, what? Okay. What Pono is? Here we go. Pono is a Hawaiian word for righteous, the one, the original, the essence. Now, I'll give you one guess. Who do you think gave him that name? Uh, Aloha! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he, he is so deeply entrenched in that. I, because I, I don't, I don't see Neil Young as being the the big Hawaiian guy. I, I see Benioff being the big Hawaiian guy. So, I'm so you think sure. Benioff gave him the name? I'm, I'm sure Benioff gave him the name. Wow. Well, you know, you know what their first choice was, don't you? What? Well, it got rejected because it was just they decided it was too hard to pronounce. <laughs> I heard Pono in there a couple of times. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They just shorten it. They just take the first four letters. <laughs> All right. But um, I thought it was interesting because they, it is, it's an interview and they were talking to Neil and they asked him a very interesting question that he had a very interesting response to. And it was about why DVD, CD audio just didn't cut it. Um, so I'll let you play the second clip. Backing up a little bit more about that, you know, the, the different formats that people tried. I mean, you, you were involved with the DVD audio, I believe. I mean, we tried, at, I tried at a lot of point. things. Like what? Yeah. Well, what? How, how did we get to this point too with digital? Okay. I mean, well, were, there, were there different places where you thought things could go in a different direction? Well, I always wanted to go as far up as I could, and that was, you know, I wanted it to be as good as it could be. That was what I've always wanted for my music and for my music listeners, and for everybody's music and for all of their listeners. So, when the C is the right right clip, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. DVD was, uh, was the standard. Uh, we started realizing a DVD audio. Uh, DVD was capable of doing much more than the CD. And it was another disc, so what's the difference? You know, you get a DVD player instead of a CD player. But somewhere along the line, the, uh, uh, some people made some big mistakes and decided that DVD audio was going to be 5-1, and it was going to be like music surround right. sound. Right. And that didn't work because... Um, Every house, almost, almost every house, is run by a woman. Okay? Ooh. <laughs> That's that war uh, on women. Oh, wow. Okay. That didn't work. You know, what are these boxes in my living room? This is no good. This, I, it was just the most simple, basic screw-up. Speaking as someone did. who has tried to implement a 5.1 audio solution yeah, in his home, I can, I can, I can agree, a, yeah. Of course, I, and that guy, the interview is trying to soften that by, by saying, oh, I'm a man and I can't do it either, right? But I don't know. Yeah. Come on, be honest. Yeah, break. You, you can, you can yeah. stop it. There, you know, I got nice yeah. furniture here. You know, I can right. put these boxes in here. You know, right. I, oh, so women, all they know about is furniture and, and fashion. They don't know about 
Uh, I can handle two speakers. I'm used right. to that. I've accepted that in the past. Right. But this right. is not it. So you it's want, a furniture. You want me to stand it was, where to furniture to stood in the way. That's what it was. <laughs> furniture was in the way of, of audio. Furniture and women was in the way of, of audio quality. Now, let me ask you, John, put you on the spot. Oh, Do you, no. Does he does he have a fair point there? Even even if it may not be politically correct. As as a married man who's tried who's a gadget freak who likes to buy gadget things and stick them in the house everywhere. He kind of has a point. My wife on a number of occasions has wondered where I'm going to put that speaker and how I'm going to run the cable. And am I going to have messy cables running along the walls or in the ceiling? Or am I going to chop holes into her walls so I can mount speakers into the ceiling? Yeah. So. <laughs> Did he, was there any backlash from that? Uh, I don't know. It was, it was a one way interview. I mean, there were a few questions towards the end, but yeah. I don't know. How do you feel about the subject of flack versus MP3 audio? I mean, we've talked about this a little bit before. I, I think that, you know, with the exact same headphones and everything that hardly anyone can tell the difference between a, you know, 16 bit, 16 bit depth and 24 bit yeah. or between, you know, the standard 44.1 kilohertz and 96 kilohertz. Um, it's just, but are you for the higher, higher quality audio? I mean, does, is, does it make that much of a difference to you? Or are you just happy with the, that's like asking if I'm for, you know, women's suffrage, you know, no, it's not. It, it, a better, <laughs> another question is, are you for 5k or 8k televisions or you think 4k is the upper limit? Well, so, okay. I mean, there are plenty of people who say that our eyes won't be able to differentiate it at a certain 4K point. Is, and why go any further? 4k is a little bit more nuanced because 4K will, the standard, even though it's not even finished, will bring us more than just, you know, 4,000 horizontal lines of resolution. Um, it will also have um, more, uh, a broader, what do you call it? Gamut, color gamut. And according to some of the stuff I read, that'll actually make a bigger difference than anything else because we were just talking about this the other day, right? If you, you, get, if you have a 70-inch TV, most people can't tell the difference between 720p and 1080p. So what's the point of, and of course, 1080p being essentially 2K. Right. So, you know, I guess with 4K, I mean, if you, if you have a very large display and you're sitting really close to it, you can probably tell the difference between 2K and 4K, but no one, no one does that. People like to sit, you know, six to eight to 10. I mean, hopefully like at least 10 feet back from your TV to watch it. And even with a, if you have a 70 inch TV, you're not gonna be able to tell the difference between 2K and 4K. But the color gamut and some of these other features that they're trying to standardize, I think, I think will make a difference. It will, it will get, you know, a better picture. So is it just a matter of people thinking they hear something better? Kind of like a generic versus a name brand where it might well, actually that, even be made by the well, same company. Well, that's why it has to be basically like a blind test because, I mean, the psychology is so strong. If you think you're, especially with things like, does something sound better? I mean, you're, you're going you're gonna to think that you hear a better, a better product, you know, a, a better signal, a better sound. Yeah. And so, so it has that, to be a, com it has to be a completely blind, you know, test. Yeah. And there was, there was an article, um, it was an Apple insider article and the title of it is Neil Young's $400 Pono high def music player loses to Apple's iPhone in blind audio test, audio test. Exactly. exactly. And, and of course, you know, Apple now they're doing, you know, probably 256 kilobit per second. Um, you know, what is it? MP3 or AACs or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and those are just, and again, those are 16 bit, 16 bit depth, 44.1 kilohertz sampling rate. 
encoded with, you know, approximately 256 um, kilobits per second, which is, you know, probably easily 10 times lower than the uncompressed audio. What is uncompressed audio uh, for like, you know, for two channels for stereo? Do you know? No. I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be like a megabyte a second. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, what about the, the audio format being um, non-DRM? Is it, is it non-DRM? It's, yeah, yeah, it is. Well, so is all, the, all other music that we buy nowadays. Uh, no, the, the AAC files that Apple produces technically kind of do have DRM on them, even though some of them do not. How do they have DRM? They're not locked. You can just take them and play them anywhere. I mean, they may, they may have a signature on them. Like, you know, yeah, they have a signature on them. Okay, so they, that, they might encode into it, like, who bought it? Right. Who originally bought it? Uh, I don't know if it's deeper than that. I know that some at some point they started releasing files that didn't have the DRM and some that did. So which means you could you could do more with them, convert them to MP3s or whatever you need to do. Yeah. But it's not DRM like the traditional like, you know, when you got to play your movie file, it connects to the Internet and validates your digital, you know. As uh, as far as I know, no. Yeah. But those movie files do do that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think DRM is just, even though they, they keep trying to prop it up with, you know, whether it's the HDMI, what's it, UC, is it UCP? No, what's the, um, you know what I'm talking about? HDMI no. supports, you know, it's, it's got DRM on that, basically. Mm. That's why you can't, nowadays, for most like TVs and things with DMI, you can't, um, you can't output to any of the digital ports. I'm sorry, to any of the analog ports. Hmm. Because it would bypass... That would get you out of out of um, the digital world, which means they wouldn't be able to do any DRM. So my last clip, and we'll play that one, is the um, this is where I'm pretty sure that Benioff named it, but because uh, he brings up Benioff for a little bit, but I'll let you listen to that. Right. Okay. Uh, are you encouraging artists to use less compression and oh, limiting? No, that's not the right well, clip. Artists are using compression. Okay. That was about compression that I decided not to play, but the one right um, before that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be fun if it's not fun it's not worth doing and music is about having a, a good time feeling your soul whether it makes you laugh or it makes you cry just so long as you feel as much as you can that's the mission of Pono Spoken like that's a true why artist. we're sharing all of our technology with anybody who wants to make anything if we certify it as being Pono we'll show you how to do it any manufacturer that wants, wants to make this kind of quality, we'll show you how to do it. Is he implying, you know, with, with there will be no license? Like, there's no license fee. Like, if you want to do it, we'll give you the, you know, the whatever. We'll give you the, the blueprints or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to license this from us. That's what it sounds like. It's, well, it sounds like if you, if you want to use the, the hardware, you can do that. They'll certify, I guess they'll certify you, certify the hardware. But if you want to use the Pono name, they'll license that to you. Oh, okay. Uh, I wonder if there's a fee. Anyway. We, we worked for a long time. Started back in 2000 working on this. Uh, talking with my friend Mark Benioff. And I said, you know, we got to... Boom, name drop. Must yeah. be a way to use the cloud and to use all of these things. Well, they couldn't get Michael Dell in the, in the group as well? Oh, he's running the machines, remember? Salesforce yeah. is running on Dell. That's right. <laughs> Unless you have an HP SuperPod. Dell was too busy checking the Fitbit, making sure Benioff was still on track. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to bring music to a new level, back to where it was a long time ago, and, and bring digital up to where, uh, to the realm that analog had attained. We must be able to do this. Uh, technology is supposed to be an, a, an enabler. It's supposed to improve life. 
and it's the 21st century, and why do we keep spiraling down with musical quality with all these little, uh, you know, like what, Ponderosa or whatever it's called, who knows, Pandora, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Pretends like he doesn't know what Pandora is. Yeah. You can stop it care. there. I, 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 I wouldn't play that long just to hear that last okay. part about him yeah. confusing <laughs> Pandora, Ponderosa. I'll call it Ponderosa from now yeah. on. <laughs> but on top of that, the, the, uh, one of the reasons I was bringing it up is because um, if you want an example of a site, a public consumer facing site using nothing but Salesforce tools, go to ponomusic.force.com. And you will see it all on display. You will see a mix of highly stylized, designed website mixed with, you'll see nuggets of Salesforce in there. Meaning you'll see Salesforce icons, Salesforce logos. You'll see a familiar chatter look to the community areas. Um, so it's not a great example because uh, I think design and style wise, they just didn't take it far enough. And maybe that was more of a money thing for, you know, how, 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 how much do you layer on style on top of what Salesforce is already providing? I've seen, um, I've seen sites built on that were even on the force.com domain, which is actually kind of ridiculous. They, and in fact, even just the fact that it's on force.com uh, that's in the domain, it's pono music.force.com tells you right there that Salesforce basically paid for this. Like they, this is a deal between, you know, no, Mark I, I, and, I think Mark is fully invested in. in oh, he probably is. You're right, but he, but Mark, I'm sure demanded force.com be in that domain, just like he demanded his name be on that hospital when he gave money to it. <laughs> um, uh, we've, I've said this before for two hundred fifty dollars, two hundred fifty million dollars. I want my name on the damn plate. Oh, yeah, building. exactly. I don't blame him. Um, but uh, I, I actually, I was going to say is I've seen sites. I think um, Home Depot has a community site that was built on force.com, and it actually looked really good. Uh, and then. Starbucks for a while had, they had like their own little Starbucks ideas. This is when the idea exchange or whatever it was, the, you know, mm -hmm. you could, you could build your own idea site, um, which you still can, but that's when it was new. And so Starbucks was kind of like their kind of launch partner with that. So Starbucks threw up a, you know, their own little ideas thing, yeah. uh, which I think is gone now, but I think the Home Depot thing may be gone too. But you Again, those are all special one-off deals that are, you know, like CEO to CEO deals. <laughs> it's, it's not like people are going, you know, oh, you know, what are we going to build our our whole technology platform on? Oh, let's 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 use this force.com thing. No, you know, people just aren't doing that. Yeah, well, yeah one you just don't see it in the wild. Just like no one used database.com. You don't. You don't. It's just not. It's not an option. It's not competitive. Yeah. I mean, this, the site, the, the entire site's running off of it. The cart, the shopping cart, the help and support, the Q&A community, everything's running off of it. So, I mean, if, if you ever wanted to see what that looks like, it's, it's there and you could see it all on display. Um, even the, the only drawback is some of the things like you go into Q&A, they should have had a landing page in between because then it asks you to log in and just kind of takes you out of the workflow. It's kind of forcing you to log in and do something, which I did. And you see all the... Salesforce community style listings and ID exchange and the, yep. all that stuff. So it's weird that when you click Pono community, I mean, it immediately makes you log in. Like, why can't I just browse the forums or whatever the community is? Yeah. That's weird. Pono's a really weird name too. Cause I, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this, but every time I look up and I see the, the word Pono, whenever I'm clicking around, I, for some reason, inject an R in there. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I read it as Pono. 
I was sitting there, I glanced up, it's this is about porno. Yeah. I'm like, what, 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 what's that? What, did I land on the wrong screen? <laughs> like my brain is just be, doing that to me. Be very careful when you're Googling for porno. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you might. Because Google, Google will be, you search for porno, but we, did you mean porno? <laughs> yeah. No, I really meant porno. Uh, can I have a kill switch? No, I was, I was looking for porno, really. I swear. <laughs> Where is it? Is it Google Trends that you can... Let me, it's like, let's compare. No, where do you go to search for keyword comparisons? Oh, I didn't know that. It's a thing. Oh yeah. Let's see. Pono, porno. It'll, it'll, you can see a chart that has them both. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. So porno has, as of the most recent data, you know, it's basically like 95 to zero. Pono is just not even on the map. (laughs) I mean, not surprising. I mean, the internet was built for porn, so. (laughs) <laughs> that's not a fair comparison that's like comparing i know it's not jumbo know, exactly. jets to, to a drone fly or something i don't know to right. a toy helicopter. Paper, paper airplane <laughs> yeah that's just uh, uh, so that's pono cool that's all i got and that's obviously all i've got and to that i say good day sir you lose you get nothing good day sir Oh, I forgot. Ah, I forgot like one that. more joke. Uh oh. Oh well. Knock knock. <laughs> Good. We we spared our audience. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Knock knock. Who's there? Interrupting cloud. Interrupting cloud. Awesome. Who? It's awesome. <laughs>